0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast, episode 45 of Life During Wartime.
1: The coronavirus edition.
0: Yes. Or the plague years.
1: <laughs> the plague weeks yes. or months.
0: Love in the time of cholera.
1: So who are you?
0: Uh, oh, yeah. The opening
1: you said, okay, I'm doing the opening.
0: Yes. So open. Welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Mark Morrell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge.
1: And I'm Jane Jezrowi, the other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. The one who can do an opening.
0: Oh, this time. Yeah. Whichever one of us is not doing the opening gets it perfect. Because you're expecting it. And yeah, then the other person waiting. fails miserably. You're
1: saying it in your head. But yes, this uh, is the... I think we're
0: losing interest because at this point, who's listening to this podcast that doesn't know who we are?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh. You never know. True. You never know. Yeah. So anyway, we have, we are in week, what, what week two hundred? we? Oh, no, we're in week, what, of the shutdown? The Canadian this shutdown.
0: Is, this is the third week of the full The
1: lockdown. Canadian one.
0: Yes, for us.
1: And yeah, but we've been basically at home. We've been behaving like there's been a shutdown because that's our normal behavior. We haven't really been very many places since we got back from the from the convention or in Orlando and partly that was because we were thinking well we've just come back and this was March 3rd I think we came back
0: yeah something like that
1: and we thought okay well we'll be careful for two weeks and
0: and then at the end of the two, two weeks, weeks they said okay stay at home everybody
1: yeah so we've been at home now we have gone grocery shopping and stuff like that and we're fine but uh Even us, it's starting to be a little, a little boring.
0: Yeah, it's kind of irritating that we can't go to the restaurants we normally go to. And even some of the places that we do takeout from are not around or not, not open right now. So, yeah. But that's a,
1: that's a, you know, small price to pay. I mean, so we are not on the front lines. We're not out there doing deliveries or... Doing that kind of stocking stuff. Stocking so, so in much respect to those who are doing all of the tasks that help everybody stay home. Mm-hmm. So hashtag truck drivers, hashtag grocery store workers, hashtag doctors and nurses.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Stock people. Farmers. That are stocking the shelves. Uh, all of the fast food workers that yeah. are still dealing with all of still that. Still
1: giving out their Tim Hortons double-doubles to... Yeah. People who are somehow in their cars at a drive-thru. Yes. Which in this town, I'm sure they're still getting business through there. So. Oh, yeah.
0: If you're in Canada, you're either on your way to or just <laughs> coming from a Hortons drive-thru. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, how much different is it going to be? Most people do go through the drive-thrus. Yeah. So our daughter works at a Tim Hortons. And she's not working right now because it's better to, well, I didn't want her to work. Yeah. And also it's better to give the hours to the people who need them rather than, you know, a student who really doesn't need to work.
0: Yeah. Who really only needs to work. So she has more money to spend at Hot Topic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There are people who need that money.
1: No more earrings need to be bought. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's to help the economy, this this child has so many bits of metal in her room.
0: So. For today's episode, we are not going to talk about cybersecurity, and I said that intentionally because that's kind of like don't think about elephants.
1: I know, I know, but cybersecurity is out for audio right now, so I haven't been working on it.
0: But we're it's not in front talk of mine.
1: I'm not going to stop talking about it. I'm not. I want to bring it up.
0: As I knew by saying it, you would have to say something about it. Yeah, because you're. Yes, you you're can, and you can't call me. me all the names you want to call me right now. <laughs> that's exactly why I
1: did it. Starts with an F and ends in an F. <gasps> oh, okay.
0: Uh, so, so what are
1: you, what do you, want? you, didn't tell me before what you want to talk about? What do you want well, to talk about? Well, I have a couple about?
0: of things, but I think the conversation we were just having before we started this podcast is a very good one because we were talking about what really is a training issue mm. uh, in the context of this outbreak. So we were having a conversation about whether we should be doing a new course that talks about. Uh, the cab maintenance stuff. There's new guidelines from TMC about cleaning cabs and things like that. And you have some of that in your existing course on preventing illness, but that's right. kind of a very high-level surface kind of course. It's not in-depth.
1: Well, it's not in-depth for, for this particular situation. It's, it's, kind it's of a just general, a general, best general. Best So, you know, viruses are everywhere. Uh, your hands are going to bring them to your face because... Yeah. And before et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Wash your hands.
0: In the pre-COVID time, people needed that, but now that information is kind of everywhere. So we were talking about this and whether or not it really is a, a training issue. So what are training issues? And this kind of thing, we decided, really isn't a training issue because it's a one pager. It's an infographic. It's a set of bullets on things to remember to have with you. That's not really a training situation. Well,
1: it's also everywhere. If you want to protect yourself right now, taking the course that we have is not going to tell you very much more than everybody on every newscast all the time. Um, All the politicians, when they get in front of a camera all the time, your company all the time, you know, like there's just so many ways of getting this information that you don't need to say, Okay, you need to be assigned to a coronavirus prevention Mm -hmm. training course, which is a, well, it's it's not the best use of your time,
0: but also from a training standpoint, it's changing so quickly. The content is changing so quickly that the time it takes to put together a proper course to design it, to do the research, to do the uh, proper interactivity and things like that. By the time you get that finished, the content is changing.
1: That's true because like two weeks ago or even a week ago, uh, the World Health Organization and the Canadian health authorities were saying, don't wear a mask, don't wear a mask unless you're sick. And now I don't know what they've decided, but the WHO is kind of going, well, we're going to look at where, whether you should be wearing masks or not. And the Canadian health officials are saying, well, if you want to wear a mask, you can if it makes you feel better, but it doesn't help you protect yourself that much you still have to practice good hand hygiene and like don't touch your face and stuff like that and don't use the n95 masks which i didn't know existed i didn't know there was such a thing as an n95 mask until like two weeks ago when well if you started think about it masks.
0: even when we uh put out that quick course on illness mm-hmm. which is a really short one uh when you put that out like three weeks ago that was still new information at that time that was more information than what was commonly out there. And people were just starting to say, wash your hands. And there was no real information about specifics or anything like that. But in three weeks, we've gone from that kind of being useful for people because it's stuff that most people don't know or aren't practicing to everybody already knows this because you're bombarded with it all day, every day. And the situation has changed so much anyway, that there are other things to be thinking about specific to this outbreak. So It's a very quick changing world. And in a situation like that, a training intervention in most cases isn't the best course of action. A one pager that people can go through a couple of bullet points to remember is much more important because it gets you the information in a quick and dirty way. But you accept the fact that that information is probably going to change in another week or so anyway.
1: The other thing that I would say is that there's... There's a phase, there's like two different things that you need to, to think about when you want want to get people to change their behavior. And one is the background knowledge uh, about why you should change your behavior, which is what training does. And, you know, the specific steps to follow that kind of thing. But then you have to have the reinforcement on the other side, which is um, companies saying, this is what you need to do companies modeling that behavior companies giving their people the equipment to to do that behavior so for the in this case you know give them hand sanitizer or wet wipes to make sure that they can clean up that kind of stuff i can't i can't write a course that says you know i can't write a course that will do that part of it you need to have that human touch that human interaction where people are it makes it easy for people to follow those guidelines rather than just understand them.
0: Well, and also company specific, exactly uh, guidelines.
1: Somebody who's hauling food might be different from someone hauling pharmaceuticals. Might be different than someone hauling
0: and uh, even medical within that, equipment. But even within that, you think about uh, every different shipping point. Mm-hmm. So it really needs to be okay when you go into this shipper. Yeah, here's what we want you to do
1: when you go to Walmart. This Walmart in this location. Yeah, this is why And most companies do that. Most companies have those guidelines, especially around um, places where there's extra security or extra like hazmat kind of stuff, like so oil oil fields or um, like places where there's more security. So you need twic and that kind of thing. There's always those those instructions. And I think companies or carriers are really used to doing that. It's just that they have to change all of their processes really, really fast. But that it's very, very important that you don't just look at something as a training problem is that you have to have those two prongs, uh, that approach. Or you, you can't just start making demands of people without telling them why. And you can't just tell them why and not ask them to behave in a certain way and not reinforce the behavior. Mm -hmm. Both of those things need to happen. So I think that the illness course that we have does the job for providing knowledge, but every single fleet has to think about how they're going to make sure everybody understands and is following the guidelines and has the equipment that they need.
0: Now, it's striking me that it's going to be very interesting to see over the next three months or six months Kind of the outcome uh, of this and how it will be different from one fleet to another based on how much they understood that going in. One of the issues that we've long had is that sometimes people think everything is a training problem. Doesn't matter what the issue is, training gets assigned. Mm -hmm. And I've ranted about it in writing, I've probably ranted about it here that you shouldn't just automatically assign training for every problem. There are lots of other things that uh, are better ways to handle that. And this is a perfect example of that, that you could throw training at people all day and all night. is not going to solve the problem. It's only going to be one part of the solution for them. There is a lot of other things that need to happen. So the companies that have got that process in place where they evaluate a situation, choose the right uh, intervention, combination of training, practical follow-up, um, policy, discussion, all of these different things, maybe it's one-on-one, maybe it's virtual, all of that kind of stuff is going to play very well in this situation. And actually just now saying that, I'm realizing also the people that have got uh, multimodal communications set up, Mm -hmm. the people that are using a combination of online, they're using virtual meetings, uh, conference calls, whatever, are certainly the ones that are going to be in better shape with this. So that's going to be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, the flexibility, I think flexibility is going to be king. So being able to, uh, that's how you're going to be successful in this whole thing is can you switch from working in an office every day to working from home every day? And we've seen a couple of instances where, and it's local people, like people, the contractors that we use or services that we use at home, um, where you see a real big difference where they basically just went away. Mm-hmm. They did no communication, no nothing. No mitigation is just, okay, we're done now. And you know, we still don't have toilet paper, tape, paper holders in our, in our redone bathrooms.
0: <laughs> we do have toilet paper though.
1: We have toilet paper. Yeah. Yes. That that's very important. We bought, we actually happened to buy a whole whack of toilet paper. Like three days before everything went crazy. Mm-hmm. So we, uh,
0: Yeah. Uh, So people are handling it very differently Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm thinking that it's going to be a real wake up call, I guess, for the people that were still doing it the old way. You know, those fleets that were still clinging to drivers got to come into class. We do it in classroom or we don't do very many meetings. I mean, there's people that don't really do much of anything. They're going to be at a real disadvantage now. And uh, not only are the organized multimodal people at an advantage, But I'm also thinking about all of the people that have been investing in these different um, like shipper report card tools where drivers can provide feedback on the facilities Mm -hmm. and the treatment and stuff. That becomes really important when the situation is changing from day to day. Hey, I came in today and they wouldn't let me use the bathrooms. Okay, well, that information, they've already got a channel for collecting that and dealing with it. So then it can get resolved for tomorrow.
1: Well, also, even office people meeting with each other, the whole idea of working from home is great, but you have to have a setup. Yeah. You have to have a decent internet connection, not just, you know, some low, low like the cheapest you can get. And you have to have a method of communicating with people that works for them because, and you have to sort of have an understanding of how you're going to keep track of what everybody is doing. Mm -hmm. So we have a system that's pretty good that, I mean, obviously that hasn't changed because we're all remote, but those systems are difficult. Like, how do you meet? When do you meet? Mm -hmm. How do you know? Like, does everybody get on Skype or MSN Messenger or, you know? I
0: don't think that exists anymore. Oh,
1: really? I used to use that like way back in a job that I had a long time ago. But uh, what's in one of those instant chat things? Like Skype is a big one. Or Slack. Oh, Slack, that's that's what I was thinking. MSN, man, I'm dating myself. Nobody even knows what that is, listening, sorry. But it, when when did I work for that company? It was like 20.
0: Uh, that was early 2000.
1: Yeah, but yeah. M- everybody in the room had MSN Messenger and everybody was like, it was like a big open area and everybody was like chatting to each other on MSN Messenger and it was like, you could have just yelled. It would have been fine. But anyway, so you have to have an agreement on how you're going to communicate. And that is incredibly important. And I find that everybody is like so fixated on video.
0: Yeah. You you don't don't need need video. video. Yeah. You know what? That's funny because I see all of these people that are talking about having these video staff meetings and things. Why? Like we never have video. We have staff calls every two weeks. We're using Zoom. We had just moved to Zoom. In, uh I think in February and it's working okay but we never have video turned on no. we don't need to see each other no. nobody needs to, to look at that uh, if we
1: need to see something it's usually sharing a, a screen it's not a, yeah we'll it's do it's screen not, sharing yeah that is usually what's more important and if I mean I don't need to I don't even need to know what people look like I don't feel the need I don't think it changes anything. The other thing that bugs me about it is that everybody's using all the bandwidth for their stupid... No,
0: Turn off your damn camera so that we can all have proper bandwidth. So
1: everybody can download something in a decent amount of time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, communication and having processes, but it also occurs to be that a struggle for a lot of these people is not only that, but... How are you going to track the work that's getting done? Mm -hmm. uh, Keep track of who's doing what Mm -hmm. uh, sort of project management type stuff and even time tracking. Like we have status reports and we have a a process for everybody tracking their time because we don't know. We can't look at them and see what they're doing when. So we have a process for handling that. And if you're used to being in the office and everybody's in the office from 8 till 4, then what do you do now? How do you make sure that people are working on the stuff they're supposed to be working on and keep track of who's doing what, when. So that's going to be a trick for people.
1: And most, I think one of the things that, that are a little bit overlooked, because I I don't really see anybody talking about it. Um, from what I read and what I see is everybody's worried about, um, how to make sure you don't get so incredibly bored or you keep working out or whatever. But, How do you maintain a social, social connections at work? And one of the things that I do is basically let people, um, quote unquote, shoot the shit on a call. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a meeting, but part of that meeting is designed specifically to say, okay, how's it going?
0: Yeah. Recognize that half of that meeting is just going to be people talking, talking about, about their day. Yeah. Whatever they're seeing in front of them or what show they watched last night because they need to have some way to chat.
1: Mm-hmm. And I do. Yep. I certainly do. Cause I'm certainly, you know, participating in that. Um, and I find that it gives you that sense of camaraderie and that, you know, that social group um, feeling that you have when you're in the office, when you're doing exactly the same thing, you're just doing it face to face. You can do that without being face to face.
0: Yeah, even with our group of introverts, they mm-hmm. all still need that. They don't want to be in a large group doing it, but one on one, yeah, you get them started and they'll go for a while.
1: And you need to make them feel okay, like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, everything. Personally and professionally. Yeah, so you need to sort of tell them what supports you have for them. Uh, you need to make sure that's communicated. Make sure that, you know, everything, that, like all of that stuff you send out to your drivers, you send out to your staff people as well, just to make sure that they know. Do you know that you're, you, um, what's that, uh, the benefits thing? The EAP. EAP, I want to say ELD, that's why I was asking. So, but the EAP, what EAP benefits do you have that people could take advantage of? I know actually in Canada, the Shoppers Drug Mart is um, offering free uh, telehealth services as well. If you don't have a doctor, um, they keep sending me messages about it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: There are tricks to successfully working from home. And the, the one that I'm noticing a lot when I see people, people posting pictures of them working from home or trying to work from home, or even you see all of these media people that are broadcasting from home, none of them have got a proper workspace. Like they're all doing it. The people that are setting up at the dining room table, or they're doing it in their family room or a rec room in the basement or something. And it's like, damn, that is going to be a recipe for disaster. It just does not work out. I mean, maybe that's all you've got. uh, But one of the key things to uh, success working at home, and I think I wasn't really conscious of it until I started seeing all of this is that you still have to have an office. Like if you think about ours, Jane and I, we may live in the same house, but our offices are on separate floors in separate rooms and they each have a door that closes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we have a closed door policy most of the time <laughs> so no that's not true it, well we mostly have our much of the time we have our doors closed because we don't want to hear you know, it's very quiet in the house but we don't want to hear or if we're on a call we don't want to It's usually when the other we're one. on a
1: call yeah
0: but then we'll forget to open it afterwards or yeah. something
1: and it's not like you can't go into the other's office i mean i'm always I try closing
0: in. my door to stop you but yeah, you barge in poor anyway. baby uh, but we have dedicated workspaces, mm-hmm. and and
1: if we didn't, we'd go insane.
0: Oh, we yeah. Shortly in after moving insane. in to this house, we were like, okay, we can't both be working in this same room. We need to have separate offices. Oh
1: no, the, oh yeah, that's right. Because in our old house, we had we used the same office, and if you know anything about Mark and I, uh, it, it, we're kind of different people. We work in, very differently. We are yes, we definitely organize things very differently and have different working processes. Which I have known since like the very beginning when I met him. And I would just move pens on his desk to just annoy him.
0: And that irritated me.
1: <laughs> I put it was the pen, my way of flirting with you. I
0: put the pen there for a reason.
1: <laughs> and he doesn't want to put anything on his walls, but the pens have got to be on a, in a specific place. But I'm like, I organize in piles. So mm-hmm. I know where things are. Don't move my stuff because the piles are very specific. Yeah, and so uh, we
0: were not going to be sharing no. workspace. And in, we
1: did have an office that we shared in the in our old house, but um, we
0: weren't there very often.
1: Yeah, I, well, one of us would be there and one of us wouldn't, and yeah. it wasn't really what we have now, which is
0: uh, yeah, and basically
1: I, I, we both have man caves.
0: Well, I wonder if what we had in that other house is what other people yeah, have now. I think that's what other they people have. You have a place have. that you can use for a couple of hours at night or on a weekend if you're doing something, but it's not really a workspace because it doesn't need to be. Uh, so we moved here. It was a larger house. We had another extra bit of uh, room. So you got a dedicated office, and I moved out. Uh, and for a while- Did
1: you use that? Did you share oh, that office like with me? Oh, for like a week.
0: Like we moved the furniture in there- at the beginning and then it didn't last very long
1: that's a small room to, i don't remember that
0: yeah we had two desks in opposite corners
1: oh uh, yeah but then so mark has basically moved around the house and tried yeah. to find his own well i space. moved into
0: the living room yeah cause, because well, that's cause
1: we had no furniture we had
0: no furniture and, and the kids were we little had a very so big they could not do anything
1: but not a lot of furniture <laughs>
0: So I moved, uh, and the yeah, and we didn't have any money to like paint or put any furniture in there, so we were very poor. I just put my desk in there, and And the whiteboards,
1: and you had whiteboards
0: whiteboards up on the wall. Yeah, so I was making it into a workspace. But the problem with it was that I couldn't escape it. Every time I walk downstairs, I walk right by the living room, which was my office, and so I'm always thinking about work. There's no way to get away from it. So moving into the spare bedroom that I'm in now is much better because I can just ignore that room on weekends or when I'm not working. When I go into it, I'm going to work uh, and it makes it much more effective for me to get stuff done, but also it's easier to kind of separate. So I find like on weekends, I don't want to go in there at all. I don't want to go and look at my machine or do anything in there. So, uh, that really helps. So, uh, now,
1: not everybody has a luxury of being able to to say, okay, this room is this and this room true. is that. However, we don't have an but office. So. I think
0: it's also important that even if you don't have dedicated closed-off space like that, that you make an area that's like that. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of segs into a discussion about the social media thing that we're doing now on Twitter where we're kind of sharing pictures of our workspaces and things we've learned and uh, what we like about working from home and tips for doing it successfully.
1: Can I just interrupt and say, if anybody hasn't seen that, go and look at the... That's go, on
0: the Carrier's Edge Twitter
1: Yeah, page. and the picture that we started off with is of Mark in his office. And I just want to mention that all of that black stuff on the wall is acoustic foam. Yes. If you've heard this podcast before, you'll know that acoustic foam is Mark's favorite thing. It's my
0: favorite wall decor.
1: I am surrounded by acoustic foam right now.
0: And listen to how clean your voice sounds.
1: Okay. I, I don't know how noise. I sound. That's your your job. So I just come down here and talk. But anyway, so acoustic foam is, is the, it is, it is the thing. It prevents echo actually. That room is really echoey. So I can see the need, but he's got it. It's like wallpaper. It's crazy.
0: Hmm. So yeah, we've uh, started with that. On social media and I'm looking at the pictures that people have posted yeah, uh, or that they've submitted that are going to be posted. And sometimes people have dedicated rooms for it and sometimes they just have an area, but it's very much a work area.
1: Yes. And
0: I mean you gave people some grief about not having enough personal stuff around it, some of them are just like all business.
1: Oh, I know. Uh, and they cleaned everything up. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I kind of want the mess, but You need to have some personality in it or else it's not going to work. Like, Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. (laughs) But you know what's interesting about Nav, um, one of our developers, Nav, um, he apparently has different workspaces around his house where he works.
0: He goes throughout the day, so he'll start in one and then move to a different one. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. I'm envious of that.
1: I could not. I'm like, the only place that I can write is in my office at my desk.
0: Yeah, you've got sort of a cave and you've got walls with all your stacks around you. Not really walls, kind of mounds of stacks (laughs) around you. So it's almost like a kid's blanket fort or something.
1: It is a little bit, yes. And I have just things that I like there. Oh, I got to take a picture of my Galaga stuff. So that's one of my favorite things is Galaga. Yeah, video game things. yeah. Some superhero posters, yeah, superhero posters, wicked, a wicked poster. Um, yeah. So i have always had stuff.
0: You've definitely made it into a place that is kind of your own sanctuary to go and close off the world. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Especially. But, I mean, th- I mean, I don't have to do it on a temporary basis. This no. is, I, this is what I'm going to work in forever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually thinking that I want to repaint, but that's a, that's a topic.
0: That's a summer project. Yeah,
1: that's that's way far down the road because yeah. I'm not going out and getting paint.
0: <laughs> Hanging around Home Depot looking at paint chips. Yeah. All of those chips could have the virus on it.
1: Oh, shut up.
0: That'll be a summer project.
1: Yeah. Um, but anyway, workspace is, is really important. If you can have a workspace where you can have it set up for that for the amount of time that you think you're going to be home, if you can have a little bit of a permanent setup so that you don't have to clean it off every night for dinner mm-hmm. or, you know, you actually have a table that you don't have to clean up. You can just leave it there. That really is helpful where you can like when you because when you're at work and you have a desk at an office, you don't clean everything off of it so that you can use it for dinner <laughs> and you don't clean everything off it so that someone can play a video game. You have it, it is your space, and that needs to be you need to have that space.
0: You know, it's funny as you're mentioning that, and I was thinking that we have worked in places where nobody had a permanent desk. I know, and I hated it. Like, I hated places it places where it was kind of an open concept, a bullpen type area, mm-hmm. and you would come in with your laptop in the day and set up, and that's where you you'd would have for to the day. sign
1: in to the office. Oh, yeah, like you'd have to actually request a. You'd have to go and pick the cubicle that you yeah, wanted to work. Yeah, the ones that are on. available,
0: and then you oh, can I have hate that hoteling. Yeah.
1: Oh, I hated that. I'm
0: glad that it's kind of gone out of fashion.
1: Well, it's it was a horrible way to make people work. I mean, yeah. no one wants to just kind of zip in and zip out. And even when you're a even when you're a consultant, and that's why it's because there's so many people at PwC were consulting, mm-hmm. and they were never there. So why have a desk for them? And I can see that. That makes sense. But there were people who were there all the time oh, yeah. or who were there more often than not. And, you know, give them a particular desk. And I know that you and Chris used to, like, you basically well, there had the a same of us that had assigned same desk every day.
0: Yeah, we were actually assigned a Oh, were you? Desk. Oh, yeah. okay. But that was hard work. They did not want to do that. They did not want anybody to have a permanent desk. That's because horrible. in their head, if you have a permanent desk, that means you're overhead and we want to cut overhead. Everybody else should be out doing billable work. Yeah. So. Oh,
1: those words. Billable work. I hate that Get too. out doing
0: billable days at client sites.
1: Yeah. No, yeah. that was not a, Well,
0: also think about it now. How ridiculous is it that only billable work can happen uh, at a client site? You have to be on site to be doing billable work.
1: Yeah. How's well, that, that working was, out now? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's not. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of people who had to be emergency flown home.
0: Yeah, because well, yeah. there was probably
1: a lot of people who were working around the globe who who are consultants who, yep. who had to basically say, "Okay, got to come home." Yeah. that would have that would have freaked me out.
0: Well, when I worked at uh, SoulCorp uh, during the SARS uh, outbreak, SoulCorp's business was insurance software, and they had like two thirds of their workforce were consultants that were on site at insurance companies implementing and customizing the system. And many of the Canadian, probably 80% of the Canadian consultants actually worked in Asia Pacific because they had already saturated the Canadian market. They owned that whole thing. So they were moving on to other markets and Asia Pacific was a big growth area. So you had like all of these Canadian consultants that are on long-term assignment in uh, the Philippines or Indonesia or Malaysia, places like that. And when SARS came out, it's like, okay, get out. Everybody had to be flown home, and they benched all these consultants for like three months. Yeah, so it was really disruptive, and uh, it was sort of a good uh, dry run for this.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering how if if it's if any of that experience is helping with this experience mm-hmm. for trucking companies, especially. But we yeah. shall see afterwards, because I'm sure everybody will be talking about it after. Mm-hmm. There will be stories and things like that. going yeah, on. Yeah, there's
0: going to be movies. There's going to be uh, books written. There's mm-hmm. going to be investigations oh, and actually, all of the failures.
1: One of the one of my course developers, Tiffany, who's new, um, she's writing. Uh, basically, she's keeping a journal. Oh. So Chrissy and I were like, "Oh my god, you can keep a journal!" Yeah, because <laughs> like that was that oh, was she my have kids, right? No, and you have. Well, I've never been able to keep a journal, no, me so she's keeping a journal of everything that happens. I don't know. I guess of her coronavirus experience. But I, so when we were talking about it, I was thinking about all the times, and our daughter is the same. That you think, oh, I'm going to keep a diary. Hmm. And this was back in the days when you had the diary, like yeah. when I was a kid, and you had the diary with a little lock and which had some stupid key that you never. It was always lost. And, um, so I would write, I would do it for maybe three days tops. Mm-hmm. I would, I would be like, okay, I can do this. And then, so I'd have all of these, you know, bits of diaries that were filled in for three pages and that's it. Yeah. And even when I was in uh, university and I was doing my education degree, one of the classes that I took was for, um, teaching English and it was at the like junior intermediate level. So like grade six and seven. And this is when, when writing was very big and getting people to write as much as possible. That was the theory, is that you just write and write and write. Right. And so we had to keep a journal for the entire class. <laughs> and I couldn't do it. I ended up doing that whole thing that you're not supposed to do, which is doing everything at the end. Yep. I was sort of like, a, you know, even a status report sometimes. I'm like, oh, what, what happened? don't know what happened so i'm going through all my email and trying to see what i did in a week Mm. and i find it very very difficult to document my day as it goes it's very hard so i'll be very be interested to see what tiffany comes up with yeah because this is an interesting time i mean it would be really kind of cool to have a journal of of what happened and books and things like that but it's not gonna like even if we did a book and i keep thinking that we should write a book about our company and and what what has happened and i'm just really relying on you because
0: god Uh, there's lots of stuff i don't remember
1: i don't know how we're gonna do it because we don't remember we never kept notes yeah it was like it was one ginormous emergency and then another ginormous emergency (laughs) and then oh it's going pretty good now emergency Yeah.
0: Yeah. That'll be a tough book to write. So that does work as a nice segue though, because one of the other things that I was going to talk about here was another book that I have been rereading about dealing with chaos, uh, great by choice, which, uh, it looks at companies that have not only survived during turbulent and chaotic periods, but have actually thrived and kind of gives a prescription for all of the things uh, to do and uh, all of the ways to kind of set yourself up to be ready for it and uh, be resilient and be ready to absorb all of these and to make the most of a, a crisis. Uh, and so we've been following a lot of these things for a while. So I thought it'd be good for me to kind of go through it and reread it and just make sure that there's, you know, nothing I'm missing or anything else that I should be thinking about that I'm implementing, that kind of thing. So it talks about a whole lot of things that actually aren't that difficult. And many of them have kind of become our internal vernacular about things that we're going to be doing. And the one that I always think about when I do the podcast is the 20 mile marching, the idea that you have this level of things that you're always going to accomplish. And it's kind of a range of things. There's a minimum that you always have to get to, even if it's tough And then there's an upper uh, ceiling that you won't go beyond. So in the tough times, you have to kind of struggle to keep that bare minimum. But in the good times, you've got to hold yourself back uh, from doing too much. And by doing that, by sticking to that kind of consistency, you actually have more resilience. You're stronger and able to do it uh, for longer and you have better performance over the long term.
1: Oh, we have um, definitely been doing 20, so, 20 mile march.
0: Yeah, and the idea is that if you're marching across the country um doing 20 miles every day no matter what is going to get you across the country faster than if you go a lot in a good day and hardly any in a bad day. So, this podcast schedule of every 3 weeks that is our 20 mile marching, because sometimes it's tough to get it in there, schedule it in. Uh, and there are some times where there's a lot going on where we think, "Wow, oh, we could probably do one every week. But no, we stick to that. Yep. And uh, it has, well, I think it has paid off in that we've got consistency. I don't know if anybody actually likes the podcast, <laughs> but we've got them out there all the time. So one of the things that I noticed when I was reading this book that... I don't know if I had forgotten or if it was just kind of been buried in the subconscious. But uh, one of the things that the book talks about is consistency in sort of planning and execution. And that stuck out with me because stuck out to me because we hear a lot about, oh, it's important to go big or go home. You know, make a big decision, make a bold decision, take a big risk, uh, move fast and break things. You keep hearing all of this over the past yeah. few years. But what they found. Very sexy. What they found in the study, uh, and they like studied, I don't know, a bunch of companies for like thirty years of performance or something. And what they found is that the most successful companies don't do any of that. They're not making bolder moves. They're not taking big risks. They're not doing any of that kind of stuff. In many ways, they're less, uh, they're they're less bold. They're less risky. So it's kind of the slow and steady wins the race, which sort of ties back into that uh, twenty mile marching. But the part that jumped out for me is that all of these companies that were being evaluated faced turbulent times uh, and big crises that they had to deal with. And the successful ones didn't change anything about their strategy. So there's a lot of people that are like, okay, what do we need to do differently? How are we changing to uh, address this, uh, this pandemic currently? But it seems that the best practice really is just keep doing what you're doing. You know, have a plan that has a lot of contingencies and Uh, That's another part of it as well is just imagine every nightmare scenario you can and plan for them. Uh, But once you get into a tough time, don't change your thinking as a result of it. Uh, So there's a lot of examples of companies that did do that that thought, okay, it's a different world now. We've got to change. And they changed what they were all about, what their product offering was, uh, made some bold moves, tried to do some acquisitions or something. This is in the book. In the book, this isn't
1: what's happening right
0: now. No, well, this is what's happening in the what happened in the book, and they never did well. The companies that just stuck to what they were doing, kept their philosophy, kept their sort of core offerings, always did way better. So in the long what's run. an
1: example of one of the companies that um, was a mess?
0: Uh, so the one that I was just finished reading was a comparison. They always have uh, comparison companies. So they have one that was a really good performer and one that wasn't. So the one that was a really good performer was Southwest Airlines. And this is going through the 70s and into the 80s. And the comparison was PSA, Pacific South Airways. And Southwest actually was started as pretty much a clone. They took a lot of their operating policies and manuals directly from PSA. And they had their philosophy of what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. And through that time, so they faced, as airlines, they faced uh, the oil shock of 73. They had deregulation of the airline industry, a lot of really big, uh, turbulent times. And they kept doing what they were doing. They didn't grow too fast, and they've done very well. Uh, But PSA, on the other hand, decided that they were going to do a whole bunch of other things. So they started changing the planes that they were operating. They took a big risk on some different planes. Uh, then they, uh, bought a chain of hotels deciding that they were going to get into the hotel business because if you're flying somewhere, you probably need a hotel as well and also a car rental business. So they, they took all of these big, bold, uh, risks and none of them panned out because they weren't, uh, they were over leveraged. They weren't ready for any kind of problem. They had to have everything work perfectly for that strategy to pan out. And of course things don't always work perfectly. So they had committed to a whole bunch of new planes, totally different type of plane that they were unfamiliar with and committed to a whole bunch of uh, equipment and fuel purchases. And then the oil shock happened in 73 and they were, they almost never recovered from that. You know, that's when they went on to one of these uh, big bets after it and it didn't pan out. And then I think into the early eighties at best, they were gone. So they didn't survive. Southwest stuck to the same kind of planes, never branched out into a different service, grew into different cities very slowly, and they're still around today and still very profitable. Even through nine they were able to be profitable nearly every year.
1: Really? Which, yeah. Oh, in the airline industry, yeah. they've been
0: profitable like 19 I've, out of 20 years.
1: I think I've read this book too. I just forget it. So maybe I'll read it after you're done yeah. with
0: it. I had you read it uh, before.
1: Uh, and that was years ago yeah, that I read it. and I
0: haven't but read is it that, for But is that
1: the book that talks about the bullets and the cannonballs?
0: Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, and that's actually, a, yeah, a good example because...
1: That's uh, how you do the 20-mile march is instead of, so if Pacific, the Pacific Southwest?
0: Pacific South Airways, yeah, PSA.
1: Okay, so if PSA had maybe bought, you know, had one new plane and and gradually integrated them Mm -hmm. then they would have been more successful or if they had decided to go into car rental partner with a car
0: rental company
1: yeah and then go into it slowly and then maybe buy them out and then go into a hotel like if they had done it over those 20 miles their risk would have been much less
0: yeah that's what they refer to in the book as empiric creativity so you have to have creative ideas but you have to rely on the data to tell you which ones are working before you make a big bet on them. So uh, that's, yeah, definitely one that we follow. The idea is you yeah. fire a bunch of bullets, which are kind of low risk, and they don't use up a lot of gunpowder until you calibrate your aim, and then you fire your cannonball. And when you've done that, you know, you're know you using up a lot of your gunpowder, uh, but you also know that you're going to hit the target. So we do that with a lot of different things. I mean, we,
1: we do that with everything.
0: Yeah, we try a few different things and see what's working and then you whittle it down from there and then you go big on the one when you know it's actually going to pay off. So
1: we do that with shows a lot. Mm-hmm. So we'll sort of there's a new show that's happening, we'll never be there the first year. Back we'll in the of,
0: old world when there was shows.
1: Yeah, we'll sort of wait for it and see or we'll walk the show but we won't have a booth there and And then we'll sort of see and then see what happens after. Mm -hmm. And then, you know,
0: we may have a booth and one person goes. Yeah. Uh, We'll do something that's fairly small to try it out and see what's going on.
1: But yeah, like this whole. So we'll never be, you know, the super sexy, you know, we're on the, you know, top five fastest growing things, blah, blah, blah. We'll never be that because just one day we'll be everywhere. Because we've done that twenty mile march.
0: Well, and over the long term, around the, North
1: America. <laughs> yeah,
0: over the long term, the companies that do that kind of fast growth stuff don't last. So yeah, they I mean, end up and I think, that,
1: I think that there are some exceptions. You know, Facebook was one of those explosive growths, like a lot of those. Well, look at the crazy mess that
0: Facebook is now.
1: I know, but it doesn't mean it's not not successful anymore. I mean, it's still successful. It's there. Well, maybe Uber is a
0: now, that's a good uh, example. I'd be very curious to see what they, what uh, you know, the, uh, the writers of the book say about that. Because Facebook was around for a while. They may have grown fairly fast, but they were pretty slow in the beginning. It was only schools, and it was one school, and then it was another school. They added a few, but you had to have education addresses. Uh, it was probably four years before they opened it up to the public.
1: And then that was pretty slow, too.
0: So it was a fairly slow growth. It was compressed compared to other, you know, a 30 year trajectory of some other businesses, but it was still slower than what they could have done. Mm. Now they've got other issues. They are, um, you know, this whole move fast and break things that was their mantra for a while has turned out to be a really bad idea when the thing you're breaking is civil society
1: or national (laughs) election. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And all of the other things, you know, when it's causing, uh, genocides, (laughs) That kind of break is not so good.
1: Yeah, so that will be, that's an interesting idea. But that book was written before
0: social media It was written in 2011.
1: Yeah, so it hasn't been, I think like 2015 is really when things started going nuts with social media.
0: But I'm looking at it sort of in the context of our business and what things we could be doing. But it will be interesting to watch. How this plays out with businesses facing, oh, yeah, you know, challenges now because there was a lot of businesses that were really in bad, they were really I don't say in bad shape, but uh, on, on the, the edge. on the edge. So you know, we were just talking after we came back from the convention beginning of March. it was talking about Boeing because I'd read an article about their management decisions uh, and how those are coming back to bite them. The fact that uh, the whole 737 Max thing. And the fact that they spent like five times as much on dividends and stock buybacks as they spent on R&D, and now they don't have a new plane, you know, and because they would poured all their cash out the door in buybacks and dividends, they've got no cushion for when, you know, the world shuts down and they got hat in hand to the government. Please give us a bailout.
1: Yeah, which is, I think is funny is that it's like complete completely against everything that the US stands for is government handouts and yet that's all they seem to be doing these days if
0: you're a big company yeah, the yeah big you companies love
1: yeah the big companies are the one, first in line give me give me a yeah. handout so i can have a stock buyback
0: and then they use that money to aggressively lobby to prevent anything changing yeah that will make it harder for that's them to get crazy. in the same trouble again uh yeah But anyway, my
1: theory that, you know, part of your profits should be uh, for good, not evil.
0: (laughs) Well, they would argue that it is all for good. Well, that needs to be defined. Who's good is
1: what it's for. Long
0: term vision, not short term shareholder vision.
1: Yeah. Well, shareholders are the worst because they're always and we were talking about this in um, high tech right now, mm because I think a lot of anybody who's using venture capital Those venture capitalists are going to be like, hmm.
0: They're all panicking. What should I take out?
1: Yeah, I need, I need my money back. How am I going to get it? So you're going to see a lot of tech companies, I think, do layoffs. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And possibly go under, depending on how long they can hold out. But high tech companies with venture capital are spending and spending and spending as fast as they possibly can.
0: They don't want to ever sit on a cushion.
1: No, well the eBay. whole idea is that you have to you have to build the business or you have to make it look like you know you're going somewhere so that the investor can either get the money out or think that they're getting a bigger payoff down the road. But if you don't grow, like if you don't hire a billion bazillion people and have tons and tons of advertising and you don't look like you're doing mm-hmm. that much, then then an investor is going to be like questioning that. Yeah. Which is what I think is nice is that we don't ever we've never had any outside investment, and we don't we don't a lot of the things a lot of our decisions don't make sense to the investment community, but they make sense to us. So we're just oh, gonna sure. we're just gonna keep on with what yeah, we're doing. Yeah, we're looking
0: at the the longer term plan. Investors rather than
1: have no clue what to do with us. <laughs> they do not know.
0: Yeah, and they still come. They still ask they questions. Still like hey, they send their junior. Researchers out yeah. there to fish.
1: Yeah, and, you do e-learning, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. What would you and do I with always best fleets? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's the same question that I always ask them just to see what their answer is. And they don't even know what I'm talking about. No. I might as well speak a foreign language yeah. to them. So, yes. And uh, uh, so one of the other things that I notice these fast growth focused companies, uh, I guess, missing the boat on is is that whole business of keeping a cushion. They don't have any kind of cash cushion. They just spend everything that they get. It all goes into hiring or uh, advertising and marketing stuff. And they
1: just carry a lot of debt?
0: Well, they spend all the cash they have and then they go and raise another round. Mm. Or yes, debt. I mean, everybody is for years and people are saying it to us as well. Hey, debt is real cheap. It's a good time to go into debt. It's a good time to borrow to do stuff because interest rates are really low. Well, you're gonna to have to service that debt at some point. You're gonna to have to pay that back. Mm-hmm. So now there's people that are really highly leveraged that are in trouble. And uh, there was a good example from the book. One of their uh, profiled companies is Microsoft during their big growth time. and uh, they're talking about Microsoft, I guess, was notorious for being able to find, any scenario imaginable that uh, would be negatively affecting them. They're like, they're referred to as Dr. Doom, uh, everything that they could find that's going to go wrong uh, with them and plan for it and sort of be prepared so that they never get caught um, unprepared for anything. And I guess in the early days, Bill Gates wanted to have enough cash on hand to cover expenses for a full year without a cent of revenue.
1: Wow. Did they ever do it?
0: Uh, I don't know if they did, but they were very. They've always been really conservative yeah. in their guidance and their planning and sort of their growth and expenditures. Uh, now, they uh, part of that is paranoia. You know, he's always waiting to see who's coming around the corner. Well, if
1: you have Apple, who's sitting on your doorstep?
0: Well, and Bill Gates did that to IBM, right? Yeah, he was the twenty-year-old hotshot kid who went and. It, um, decimated IBM's PC business. Yeah. For their software business.
1: So, I mean, if you're doing it to someone else, you got to think, oh, someone's going to come yeah, and do it to you're you. You're worried
0: about that. Yeah.
1: Who's going to come he and disrupt? He always wanted to
0: have enough cash yeah. that he could make a move, which makes a total perfect sense because it kind of goes back to being ready to fire a cannonball when you need to, which is another part of the book is move fast when you have to move slow when you can. You know, they're not always people that jump at the opportunities, they sometimes take their time, but when they have to move fast, they're ready to do it. They've yeah. got, they got all kinds of gunpowder. If you've got a s- massive cash cushion. So I am going to be very interested in seeing what happens and where these businesses end up, you know, what three it months looks from like, now yeah. and even a month from now, you know, we saw the first batch of layoffs yesterday, uh, that were announced, uh, sort of tech companies in the trucking space. And, uh, I will be interested in seeing where it goes from there.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to... Well, that's kind of a downer, but...
0: We will get through this. <laughs> we the will sun get, will No, rise.
1: don't say that.
0: Well, okay. On a positive note, I called to book our pool opening for the summer. That's Yay! always happy news. So with that... Whether
1: we're going to get it or not, it remains to me see. but... The thought was there, and it's sunny outside, so we can at least go sit in our backyard.
0: So, yes, thanks for listening. Have a great day.
1: Have a good day.